You guys doing good? Awesome, awesome. I'm so glad that I'm here tonight. Um, want to introduce myself to maybe the new time people that are coming in, VIP first time guests. I'm Pastor Cole Reichert. I'm a student pastor here at the Crossing Church. Um, I've been here for, uh, well, since the end of March. So what is that, like six, seven months now? So it's been an awesome journey. I'm so glad to be up here, to be able to just hang out with you guys, to do what we get to do. I mean, how many people on a daily basis can say they get to go to the beach and hang out for the day for work? Right? I mean, that's awesome. I know my forehead's a little red because I got a little summer yesterday. I didn't listen to my wife and put sunscreen on. So I got chastened for that, but it's okay. I'm up here. I love the Lord. You guys love the Lord. And it's great. Just want to give a quick shout out to my beautiful wife, Savannah Riker, who's in the back corner over there. She is, just so for the new people coming in and maybe some of you that don't know, she is due with our first child in about two weeks, August 22nd. Actually, that is exactly 14 days from now. Um, so if, if I'm not here, that's where I'm at. I'm going to see my, my baby boy being born. So that is going to be an awesome thing. We're praising God for that. So we're going to dive in real quick. I, I think I have a, an awesome word for you guys tonight. I feel like God really has poured something into my spirit to share with you guys. So how many of you guys like good news? Everybody like good news? I love good news. I think we all love it. How many of you guys like bad news? Nobody likes bad news. I have some good news for you guys tonight. Um, so we're going to go ahead and get in a word of prayer and just let God do what he does. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this evening, God. I just thank you for this church, this body of believers, this family. God, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit will descend upon this house, that you will descend upon my tongue, nothing that is... Not of you will be said. God, everything that you want to be said will be said. Jesus, we look to you as the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who came and died for our sins, the one who has already won the victorious battle. We look to you tonight for victory, and we acknowledge that you are the good news. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, and amen. Awesome. So how many of you have ever had... Something stolen from you. I said good news, but I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you ever had something stolen from you? I see a lot of hands. How did that make you feel? Mad. So I, I've had some stuff. So let me go a little, little further, a little bit more relevant. How many of you have ever had food stolen from you? How did that make you feel? Oh, I hate that. So you like, it might be that dish that you like set aside and you put it in the refrigerator and you put your name on it, right? And then you go back and your little brother or sister ate it and you want to kill them because it was delicious and you put all that time into it. Or I had this happen once. You, you get your burger all right and then you get up because you got to go get something and you come back and it's not there because the dog ate it. And then you never want a dog again because he ate your burger. True story. True story. You can ask my wife. I don't, I don't know. We're praying about the dogs right now. I don't know if all dogs go to heaven. I'm just kidding, babe. They do. They do. <laughs> So, everybody doesn't like it when they get stuff stolen from them. So, I say that to say this. How about a dream? Have you ever had a dream? Maybe of something that you wanted to be. You had this idea in your mind. 
maybe when you were younger, maybe right now, I want to be this thing. This is what I'm striving for, right? But maybe along that way, you had some naysayers that are trying to steal that dream from you. Of course, there's always going to be haters. The ones that are telling you, no, you can't do that. No, that's not your, your gifting. Maybe that's just not who you are. Maybe they're doing it out of jealousy because they don't like the fact that they, you can do it, but they can't. Who knows what it is? So I had a dream like that a couple years ago. And it started off, I was, this was when, when I had a secular job and I was doing my, my secular thing. I'm going to say I'm not proud of it, but I wasn't necessarily following the Lord. And my dream was I wanted to be like, I want to be like a real estate mogul. Like how many of you guys know who Donald Trump is? I hope you know who the president of the United States is. It's a trick question. So Donald Trump, before he was president, he was a real estate mogul. He still is. And there for a little while in my life, I, believe it or not, it, I, I'm kind of like, I, it hurts me to say it. I kind of wanted, business-wise, I wanted to be like him. I wanted to strive to be that successful in the realm of real estate. Because I saw how lucrative it was. I saw the money that was tied to it. The freedom that you kind of had or what you thought you had. So I had this dream, and I remember when I was around 19 years old, I went to go for that dream. And I, and, and I took the first step in action, and I was going to buy a rental property. And I remember all the naysayers that came against me and said, you cannot do that. What are you doing? You're an idiot. I mean, some people that were close to me, like, for real, for real, telling me, you're never going to be able to do this. You, you're, you're, you don't know what you're doing. Just keep kind of doing what you were doing. I realized down the road they were just speaking out of a place of fear and jealousy. But I had a dream. And I wanted to go for something. I wanted to go for broke. I wanted to get what I knew I could have. So I want to talk to you guys a little bit tonight about a man in the Bible who also, right, had a dream. He had a huge dream and word over his life. And it was very biblical, unlike where I was at in the world that was very secular. His was very biblical. And he had every reason to not do it because everything that came against him, but yet he still listened and he still prevailed. So as you guys know, we're still, we're, we're kind of close. This is actually the closing of the series, Running with the Giants. And I want to talk to you guys a little bit tonight about King David. And everything that he kind of went through and his story, his dream, his downfalls, his doubts, and a little bit of a recap of his life and what God had promised him. Before I do that, I'm kind of going to my big idea here, and I want to go ahead and give it to you. The big idea for tonight is what has the enemy stolen from you? I really want you to think about it. What has the enemy stolen from you? So King David, right, we're, everybody knows King David for what? He's like the most notorious, famous story in the Bible. David and, thank you. I was like, okay, the two people in the house know who Goliath is. If you guys don't know who Goliath was, he was a big giant and David killed him. I think everybody's on the same page with that. So we know of King David, but so before that, David was just a young shepherd boy, right? And he's, he's with his father and all of his brothers, and the Bible actually says throughout 1 Samuel, when Samuel the prophet comes to anoint him as king, comes to speak the word of God over him, the promise, that David was out tending the sheep while all of his brothers were just 
kind of doing what, what they wanted to do. They were the favored ones. So we see right there that David was the, the runt, the one that nobody really wanted anything to do with just because he was out doing that in the wilderness with lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. And everybody else was just chilling at the house, and they were Jesse, his father's favorites. So Samuel comes to David and Jesse, and, and he says, can I see your sons? I want to anoint one of them as king. So Jesse's all happy, and he says, it's probably going to be this one, my firstborn. He's tall. He's handsome. He, he, you know, he's strong. He's a warrior. So Samuel goes and asks the Lord, is this it? And the Lord says, no. And we know the story from there. He goes down the line, and finally he says, do you have any more any more in your household? And he says, yes, I have one more. He's like, you don't really need to know about him, but yeah, I have one more. Bring him in. So they bring David in, and the Lord tells Samuel, this is him. That's him. And Samuel says, okay. So he anoints him. So from that point, David becomes the anointed king of Israel that is going to come over the king before him who was Saul. So now David is in this place, and he was like a teenager, probably 12 to 14 years old at that time. He realizes these words that are spoken over him. That's a big thing. Like, you're going to be king. Like, that's saying you're going to be president. And he's like a teenager. He's like, what? What are you talking about? But he believes it. So time goes on. David and Goliath happens. He beats Goliath. Then after that, he becomes like a victorious warrior in Saul's army. He gets all these battles, and because of that, he starts to get a lot of fame for himself. The people start chanting, Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. The people are really starting to kind of like David a little more, and Saul sees this. So now Saul gets really angry, really bitter, really jealous, really resentful. And he says, David, I don't want you here anymore. And he tries to kill him a couple times, tries to throw a spear through him. Now keep in mind... Saul kind of was like David's second father figure. He taught him how to be a warrior. And now Saul is completely and utterly rejecting him and saying, no, no, you can't be here because you're, you're, you're stealing my light. I don't want you here anymore. So David has to flee. He goes to the people of Israel. The people of Israel then say, no, you can't be here either because Saul decreed that if you're here with us, we have to turn you in because he's looking for you and he's going to kill you. So David is like, okay, so where do I go now? I, I can't be at my father's house, so I can't be with Saul. I can't be in Israel. Where do I go? So he goes to the one place you never thought he would go. So remember David and the Goliath? Who was Goliath fighting for? Goliath was fighting for the Philistines. So at this point in David's life, he says, I'm going to go to the Philistines. So he goes to the Philistine land, goes to the king, and, and gives him his situation and says, I just want a way out, man. Can I stay here? He said, yeah, sure, you can stay here if you plead your loyalty to me. So he said, I will do that. So Akish is his name. He gives David all this, this area to kind of take over with David and his men. He had 600 men that will later be known as the mighty men of God, the mighty men of David. So they go to Akish, and they go to Ziklag, and they hang out there. So now he's in one place that he fought against for so long. He's hanging out there. So we're all building up to this one passage in 1 Samuel 30 that I really want to hone in on tonight. Because 1 Samuel 30 brings David to a point to where he's with the king of the Philistines. And they're about to go and battle the Israelites. Saul. David is. And David's in this, like, crunch. He's like, how do I do this? 
I pleaded, I have pleaded my loyalty to one king, but also the other. I'm in a tight spot. What do I do? Now, keep in mind, David is a man after God's own heart. He wants to please God, but he's in this predicament. So he goes, right? And he goes to, to Achish and he says, I'll go with you. So they march in battle and they're going towards the Israelites. And as they go, the men, and this is actually by the grace of God, to keep David who he is. Because the grace of God is always on us, no matter what. The grace of God is always shadowing on us, and he loves us. And, he, and you'll see how he loved David in this. The king of the Philistines says, you, I don't think you should be here. The men are murmuring against you. They're saying that if you go to battle against the Israelites, your people with us, that you might try to kill us and redeem your name. Saul will like you if you destroy us. So he's like, well, what am I supposed to do now? So now all of his men go back. Akish sends him back, all the way back to Ziklag, the place where he's at, because they don't feel comfortable with him fighting. So to quickly recap this long story of David's life to where we're at right here in 1 Samuel 30, David has lived this life of, first, remember now, he had a promise God promised him something huge. You will be my priest, my prophet, and you will be my king over Israel. He said this when he was just a young boy. But think of David's life. He, he's rejected by his own father and his brothers. He's then rejected by his own second father figure, Saul, who's trying to kill him and run him out of the country. He's rejected by his country, people who he is fighting for. Then he's rejected by his own enemy. And now he's at this point to where he doesn't really know what to do. So he goes back to Ziklag, and he thinks, how could this get any worse? So as him and his men are going back to that place, they find out that there is nothing left. It's all rubble. There's smoke. The place is desolate. Somebody has been there and attacked. So the Amalekites came while he was gone and took everything that he and his men had. They took David's wives. They took his sons, his daughters. They took all the men's sons and daughters. They took all their livestock. They took everything that they had. And David just doesn't know what's going on. He's in a foreign country, and now he has nothing except the men around him that he's poured his life into, those 600 men. Doesn't even have a wife or child anymore. What does he do? Well, it gets worse. <laughs> now, all the men start murmuring against David and saying, we can't trust you, dude. You've led us all the way to this point, and now our sons and daughters and all of our livestock's gone because of your leadership. We're going to stone you. And David sees this, and he, he, he gets really heavy of heart, and he says, what am I supposed to do? The men that I've sacrificed my life for now they've rejected me. I have nothing left. I literally have nothing left. Zero. I came from a place to where, yeah, people rejected me, but at least I had a home and I had clothes and I had something to strive for. But God, right now in this moment, I'm done. And in my opinion, this moment in David's life is the most pivotal moment that he could have. And the biggest decision that he can make to be known to who he is that, that we know him to be in the Bible. So David is faced with a huge, huge, huge decision. 
And keep in mind, like I just said, he has nothing left. The hardest part when I think of this is, how would I react if I had nothing left? God, you promised so many things to me. And I heard you speak to me in so many ways. But right now, it seems like everything that you said was a lie. I'm all alone. All I have is the clothes. All David had was the clothes on his back. And like I said, he had a decision to make. And what I want to point out right now, we're in 1 Samuel 36, is where he really changes and shifts the whole dynamic and demonstrates what a real person, a real man or woman of God would do versus someone who is acting out of the flesh and acting for themselves and not really relying on what God and who God is and what God has spoken over that person. So two things. The first thing is, is a man of the flesh would do what? Well, we've already seen it. First Samuel right there, it says in, in, in 30 that the men came against David and they started murmuring and they wanted someone to pay for the pain they were feeling. I want someone to hurt. You guys ever heard the expression, hurt people, hurt people? When someone is hurting and they don't know who God is, and they don't know the promise, and they don't know the name that they carry because they are a child of God, they have a tendency to hurt others because they simply want them to relate to them. Misery loves company. If you ever find yourself in a situation, you're like, man, everybody around me is so drab. They're so miserable. They're always tearing me down. Have you ever thought maybe, well, how am I acting when I'm with them? Birds of a feather flock together. A wise man once told me that, and it's always stuck in my head. I love that saying. (laughs) Misery loves company. You are the people that you're around. You attract who you are. All these men started getting together, and they said, we're going to kill David just because I'm hurting. That doesn't even make any sense. I'm going to murder the guy who got me here. I mean, at least, like, logically, well, maybe we can make something out of it. No, we're just going to kill him. And then we're just going to see what happens. We're going to run around like chickens with our heads cut off. It makes zero sense. But that's what happens when you lead from an emotional reaction to what the enemy is doing in your life to bring you down. That's exactly what he wants you to do is to react out of your flesh. But if you remember in Ephesians 6, it says we do not war against flesh and blood, but of principalities and different Spirits that are in the air is what it's saying. Spiritual. It's a spiritual thing. Anything that is spiritual manifests itself in the flesh. And what we see is these men, they didn't have a strong relationship with God. They didn't have a a strong spirit that was really strengthened by their Lord. All they were doing was reacting out of the flesh of They've kind of lost themselves to be, and they wanted to stone David. They wanted him cold dead. That's the first option that you see that is the wrong option. Then you go over to the other side, and we see what David's decision was. Scripture says in 1 Samuel 36 that David 
strengthen himself in the Lord. David strengthened himself in the Lord. What does that mean? It means that David, like I said, he was at the end of himself. He knew nothing else. He had nothing else. And he had a choice. Do I just continue on and do what these men are doing? Do I flee? Do I run? I'm scared. They want to kill me. But I don't really care because if they kill, I don't have anything else anyways. I mean, imagine what's going on in David's head at this point in his life. God, you're not coming through. Maybe it'd be better off if they just, they did. Maybe I'll just let them. But you see, David knew that if he did that, he would be calling God a liar. He knew that he would be telling the one true God that his words that were spoken were lies. And David had enough fear and admiration, had enough respect for God to say, you, you're not a liar. I can't call you a liar. If you go through all the Psalms, it's, it's David's writings of how God was always there for him up to this point before and after that. How even in the lowest of times, God always provided and was always faithful to his word. So David has a choice, and what he chooses is he chooses to strengthen himself in the Lord. What I want to kind of bring out of that is what does strengthen mean? Strengthen actually in the Hebrew, it implies a continuous effort. Not just, okay, I'm going to do this once, God, you're not really helping here. I asked you what to do. I, I pleaded to you. I've given my heart to you. I've given everything to you. This is all that I have. And nothing's happening Okay, I'm good. I'm just going to turn away now. No, David yearned from his soul, from everything that he had left. It kind of takes me back mentally to the parable of the, the, the old lady that was a giver, and she, she literally had like one penny, and she gave it to Jesus, and that's all she had. That's it. It's, like, it's not like she had a treasure that was hidden in the dirt somewhere, and she was just taking a little. No, she gave everything to God and said, here it is. And he respected her for that, and he said, you surely will be blessed. David did the same thing. He, yeah, he had nothing left except who he was inside. And I believe that God was trying to get him there. You see, we, we look at all this stuff in the bad, all this rejection, all this has taken place, and we think, wow, God, how could you let all this happen? But if all that stuff wouldn't have happened, David would have never gotten to the point to where he had only the clothes on his back in the raw truth of who he is. Not everything else around us that means zilch. But the one thing that matters, his spirit. And saying, God, now my spirit, everything I am inside is yours. Because I have nothing and because of that, I realize my perspective has been changed to understand that I never really had anything to begin with. You gave me so much. And yes, it was you that gave it to me, not me that gave it to me. I think we can relate to David in this passage here. And I think that's where God sometimes wants to take us. To make us realize, hey, it's not you. 
I hate to burst your bubble tonight. I said I was bringing good news, and the thing is, it is good news. Because when you realize you're not in control, and that everything you have comes from him, guess what you're responsible for? Everything that is him. It's not you anymore. If it was you, you'd do what Adam and Eve did, and we'd all be damned to hell. But because of what he already did in his victory over death and over sin, we simply have only an expression of what he has done for us. That's the good news of Christ. That is where he wants us to be, to where we yearn from our soul. God, this is all I have. I only want what you have to give me. Please give me more of you. David was known so many times in the Psalms to say, Lord, judge me according to my own righteousness. Don't ever take your Holy Spirit away from me. He see, he knew. He had the right perspective. Just a little quick segue on who David was. David was known, and it was weird because David was known as a king, a priest, and a prophet. At that point in time, no of those three, they were always separate. They were never seen in one man. And a lot of theologians believe the reason that was so is because if we know Jesus comes from the line of David, right? David was a prophetic prototype of the king that would come and save us from eternal judgment and would save our souls. You see, David was just a foreshadow of what Jesus would do for us. Yes, David was a man. David fell. David did a lot of bad things in his life. He did good. He did a lot of bad. Probably more bad than good. But he was a man and he was a prophetic prototype that Jesus would be the priest. The prophet that would bring the one good news. And the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So we go back to where David was at. David had a decision and he strengthened himself in the Lord. And I believe that's where a lot of us are tonight. I want, I, want, I want to clarify something really quick. It has nothing to do with what's going on around you or the situation you're in or what happened before you came in here or what will happen after that declares who God is and what he has done. What he has done has already been done. I will, I'll continue to say that because that is the good news. Your situation, your distraction, your moment, all those things, they're just a little lapse in time to what God has already done. You see, it's our perspective that God wants to, us to change. He wants us to put our eyes on what he has already done, just like David did at that point. See, the sad part of it is, is most of the time, just like we see in David in this passage, it takes a lot to get us there. It takes heartache. It takes disappointment. It takes wounds. It takes all of these things to just keep driving us down and driving us down to the pit, to where we realize we have nothing left in us. And now it's time for God to, see, for God to step in. And it's sad because 
Why, why do we always have to let ourselves go that deep before we can realize who God was the whole time? God is who God is. Jesus is who Jesus is. And I believe that God put this story and allowed it to happen in David's life for us to read so we could see how to do it. To strengthen ourselves in the Lord well before any of this stuff happens to us. So real quick as we, we move along, I want, I want us to see three things that come from the strengthening of yourself in the Lord. And exactly how we do that in praise and in worship. So the first thing that happens when we strengthen ourselves in the Lord, and this is all preceding what happened to David in his story, as he came back from the Amalekites raiding his family. Now remember, David's in a situation he has nothing left. Everything's gone. So 1 Samuel 37 through 10 says, Then David said to the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephah. The ephah was like this, like a, almost like a sweater that he put on so he could consult God. And it brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord. And that's very important. David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them, Lord? He didn't ask himself if he could do it. He asked God. Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and the 600 men that he had went. 200 of them stayed behind because they were so exhausted. But David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. The first point is seek guidance and direction from God. Back to the big idea. When you find yourself to where God is, where you feel like the enemy is stealing something from you. Maybe he has stolen something from you. That word that was spoken over your life. That thing that God told you personally in prayer. That thing that was affirmed by someone in the church or a friend coming up to you and saying exactly what you've been praying for for so long. When those things are riled up in you, you see the one thing that the enemy wants to do is he wants to steal it from you because if it comes to pass and it comes to fruition, then the enemy has, he's lost a lot of ground in this spiritual battle that we are all in. He doesn't want it to happen, so he's going to come against you. Number one, seek guidance and direction from God. Number two, where the Lord leads, he provides. So we saw when David sought guidance and direction, the Lord told him, go after the Amalekites. Get back what the enemy has stolen from you. Take it back. I'll be with you. I promise you, you will succeed. So David listened. And on the way, he met this Egyptian slave that was a slave of an Amalekite. It's like really random. Like, what? Where's, where's Egypt coming in this whole mess? I don't, I don't know. It confused me too, right? The Egyptian slave said, they, they abandoned me. I was going to die. They just left me to be. And he said, where have the Amalekites went? And the Egyptian slave, they did a little bargaining. He said, if you give me amnesty, if you don't kill me because I am an Amalekite, I'll tell you exactly where they're at and what they're doing. He said, okay, perfect. Thank you, God. How could this be any more perfect? So the Egyptian slave tells him exactly where the Amalekites are. The 400 men sneak up to where they're at, and they're all partying and dancing and just relishing in their accomplishments, their accomplishments. 
And David's just watching him, and he waits for his perfect moment. You see, when we ask God, and then most important, we listen to God. We listen to his voice. Yeah, sometimes it can be a challenge. Sometimes it can be hard for us to just go and do what he said to do. But when we do that out of faith, when we do that because we know, wow, I don't know the outcome of this, but God, I'm trusting once again, not in me, but in you. He provides. He provided David with an Egyptian slave. Like I said, what? An Egyptian slave, and he'll provide you with whatever it is that you need for your journey. For whatever it is that he told you you're supposed to do. He loves you. He will not leave you. And thirdly, be a channel of God's grace. What do I mean by that? I mean, so as David approaches the hill and all the Amalekites are just hanging out in their own accomplishment, David and his men go down, as fierce as they are, the mighty men of David, they were called that for a reason, and just slay all of them. The word says throughout that passage, and I encourage you to go back and read it, is that David and his men take back everything that was theirs. Not one thing was unaccounted for. All of their possessions, all of their livestock, everything. And they also got more. They also took everything the Amalekites had raided. God wants you to take back what the enemy has stolen from you because he's going to give you the grace to do that. Don't think that he won't. And here's a, a, a little truth right here, and I really, 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 really like this point. You, you had, did you notice that when David went back, he didn't only get back what was stolen from him, he got back even more. I'm telling you guys tonight, if the enemy has tried to steal something from you, strengthen yourself in the Lord. Go after what he took from you. Because the Lord will deliver you. It's the Lord doing it, not you. And you will not only get what he took from you, but you'll get more. Because through this whole mess, he strengthens David's character. He's caused David to realize who the true king of kings is. And from there, he can bless him even more. David gets back to the camp. All the men are there. The 200 men that stayed behind, they were just kind of, they were really tired. The 400 men said, we're not giving them anything. And David, after spending all this time with the Lord and, and really listening and being full of his presence, says, no, 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 we're not going to do that. You see, I realized something throughout this whole battle. I realized it wasn't me or any of you guys that did any of this. It was God. And God will give to all of his people equally. That's what I mean by be a channel of grace. David made it at that point a decree in Israel that anything that the Israelites would take from that point would go to all the people, whether you were in the army or not. All the men got an equal share, and he even sent some things back home to friends of Israel to let them know that this is God that's doing this for all of us. It's not me. That's a humble spirit. That's a spirit that is capable and willing and deserving of God really blessing them because they understand who God is. 
So in closing, I want to go back to that story that I was talking about a little earlier. Yeah, so I, I wanted to be this, this real estate mogul. And that quickly got cut off, right, when I decided to give my heart everything that I had to Jesus. You see, I, I was really, really set on that lofty goal. But when all that goal came crashing down, in my mind and in my heart, I had nothing left. I, I want to go where the Holy Spirit is leading me right now. So actually in that moment, and this is, we're all, we're all human, right? We all make mistakes, right? So I was in a bad relationship at the point, and I was going after things that were of me and not of God. And it all came crashing down when all of it ended, including that relationship and including those dreams. And I said to myself, God, what do I have left? Here and here, I have, I have nothing. I have nothing, God. Please, God, just show me. I, I see it, God. You are who you say you are. And through that, he revealed to me that he is who he says he is and that I am who he says he is. You see, I was on a path to destruction and his mercy and his grace and everything that the Lord is came down upon me, even though I was so undeserving. And he said, I'm going to pull you right out of that pit. And I'm going to give you what you don't deserve, but what because I'm going to give you because I'm a loving father. I had a lady come to me. It's a long story, but I had a lady come to me while I was on a work retreat. Some of you might have even heard this before, and, and completely random. She looks at me while we're in the car, and it was work-related, and, and it wasn't like a friendship type of thing. I've never met this lady before in my life. And she looks at me, and she goes, I didn't want to come to this place. I really, really almost canceled it on my schedule. But now I know why I'm here. And then she looked at me, and she says, you're, you're a Christian, aren't you? And at that point, I said, yes, ma'am, I am. I am, and, and, and I, in my mind, I'm in my heart, I'm kind of working through some things. And I didn't tell her that, but I'm like, let's just say I'm, I'm kind of testing the Lord right now. See, God knew I would say that in my heart and my mind, because as soon as I said that, the words that flowed from her mouth was, well, God sent me here in this moment to tell you that you're supposed to be a man of God who leads a legacy for your family, who is not supposed to chase after things that you want, but what God has ordained for you and for your life and for your family and for your children and for your children's children and for your children's children's children. And I couldn't help it in a car with a random stranger. I just started weeping. And she started weeping. And then it just got really weird. <laughs> she prayed with me and it's funny, I, I still have contact with that person to this day. But I realized in that moment that God was speaking a prophecy over my life. And to this day, the proof is, it's right there in the back. My beautiful wife, a baby, I have a job here at this church. I could have never imagined those things would happen. I say that because it's a testimony of what God will do in everyone's life.
if you give him your heart and your soul and you really have relationship not just lip service not just i want to come and i want to be here every once in a while or it makes me kind of feel good inside of of me and no but you have a relationship with the king of kings and the lord of lords and you say god i really am here whatever you have for me this is it this is all i have and you give it to him he will provide for you so i ask the question one more time what has the enemy stolen from you what prophecy has the enemy stolen from you people have spoken words over your life you have had this feeling in your gut of your destiny of something so much greater you've always had this connection every time you hear the words Jesus it stirs you in a weird way but you can't put your finger on it what I'm telling you is, is it's the calling of a gracious God calling you home because he loves you because he will never let you down So as we go into this last worship song tonight, I want you guys to really just press in. Don't think about all the things around you or the things that you have or the things that you've done, but think about the things that he's done. And like Pastor Jeremy said earlier, praise Jesus. Verbally, praise Jesus. Like let the words come from your mouth, physically, audibly, See what happens in, in your heart. Before we do that, we always want to extend a salvation call to those who have never heard of the good news of Christ. And we want to repeat that prayer corporately as a family. So if you're in this house tonight and you've never heard these words, I just, I urge you to raise your hand at the end of the prayer after I count to three to just slip your hand up and one of the prayer partners in the back will want to speak to you about the decision that you made but if we could all repeat this prayer together as a family dear Jesus I thank you I thank you that you are a gracious God I accept that you are my savior and I understand that I need you I welcome you into my life as my Lord and as my Savior let's repeat that as my Lord and as my Savior I give you everything that I am lead me and guide me wherever you want me to go in Jesus name amen if that was you tonight, we just want you to slip up your hand on the count of three. And it's not a moment to isolate you. It's not a moment to make you feel awkward. We just want to connect with you because it is the best decision you could ever make. Because once you have salvation, nobody can steal anything from you. David was a man that had absolutely everything. He was going to die, but he still had a relationship with his God. He still had his salvation. And because of that, he kept going. Once you have your salvation, nothing, I mean nothing, can stop you. Not one thing. So if that is you tonight, we want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. 
as we go.